0: I was 11 years old, uh, I got in trouble. That's probably not a very shocking statement for y'all, because y'all know 11-year-olds, they, they get in trouble. Not because you know me, but because 11-year-olds, right, in general, they get in trouble. Um, but it wasn't just any sort of trouble. I got in, in big trouble. I was hanging out with some of my friends outside of the church building, and the sound of glass shattering caused all of the adults, to leave the building and go outside. Apparently, um, a rock had been thrown into one of the windows and broke it. And it's not like in the movies, you know, you hit a baseball and it leaves like a, like a ball-sized hole in the window. We're talking about a four-foot by eight-foot piece of glass that is on the floor in many pieces, Needless to say, uh, someone's going to get a whooping. So that somebody was me. (laughs) But before you jump to um, any conclusions or formulate your judgments, I want to let you know that I did not throw that rock. Um, I had been framed. And to this day, I have no idea who threw that rock and broke that glass window. But what I do know is that at that moment... I was mad. Somebody had done this and wasn't owning up to it, taking responsibility, and I wanted justice. Somebody broke that window. It was not me. And whoever actually committed the crime, they needed to face the music. But that never happened. And that happens in life. If you're at all familiar with the book of Ecclesiastes, you know full well how it highlights the vanity and the futility, and the many disappointments in life. And in this this book, the preacher, who I believe is is actually David's son Solomon, he describes various things in life that you would think would would bring purpose and, and meaning and joy, but we find that they're all vanity of vanities, a chasing after the wind. But the book of Ecclesiastes is not just really about how life under the sun is utterly meaningless. That's not not the point. It's not for us to adopt a nihilistic perspective and think, well, nothing matters. It's not the point. This divinely inspired book is actually about how life is meaningless without God. And then he offers hope and he offers his instruction, and we find that truly everything under the sun does matter. We see that in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Uh, verses 13 and 14, when you read, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This morning we're going to look at the topic of justice and judgment, and my prayer is that we'll find hope. Now, this is uh, your... Your sermon summary. I like to give sermon summaries so you can kind of follow along, trace the outline of the message. And if you forget everything, you remember this, hopefully. It's that this depraved world may cause us dismay, but our God will deliver judgment at the appointed time. So fear God and obey his directives. Sermon summary. So let's, let's read this passage together this morning. Um, And if you'd stand with me for the reading of God's Word, we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 16. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter, and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. But what happens to the children of man what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. And man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of beast goes down into the earth? So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Chapter 4. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought, the dead who are already dead are more fortunate than the living who are still alive. Verse 3, but better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. What we've just read is God's word. May we see it as such, and may we be changed by it. Let me take your seats. This depraved world may cause us dismay, but our God will deliver judgment. So, Christian, fear God and obey, all Christians, fear God and obey his directives. I want us to specifically look at two verses in that passage that we read. Verses 16 in verse 17, I'm going to go read that one more time for us this morning. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter and for every word. This world is depraved. It is. And and one of the things that we catch here in this passage of Scripture is that the author, the preacher, is looking out into the world, and he's looking at everything that is under the sun. Everything under the sun, which is a phrase that we're probably familiar with. Even if you're not familiar with the book of Ecclesiastes, you've probably heard that phrase before, under the sun. And this expression is used to basically express all of life in this world, all of the activities that we engage in, here, under the sun, but in Ecclesiastes, I think he expands that meaning to highlight the meaninglessness of those activities that are done under the sun when they're done apart from gratitude, fear, and regard to God and His ways. Unfortunately, as you know, we don't have a great track record when it comes to life under the sun. I mean, since Adam, our federal head representative sinned, we have been continuing that sort of track of rebellion to God under the sun. And I think there's a, there's, a, there's a question that is tied to that phrase, under the sun, that all of Ecclesiastes is sort of answering. And we find that in chapter 1, verse 3, where it says, What does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? And he gives us the answer, I think, in the verse prior, where he says, Vanity of vanities, this preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanities this can be quite disheartening in reality what we see here is going to take us in different directions if we we take this and we read this and say well there's, no, there's nothing matters everything is Vanity of vanities. It's meaningless. It's futile. We can take this and just become nihilist and say life is meaningless and purposeless and we can live however we want. We can live with gross immorality because really nothing matters and if nothing matters, there are no consequences. But I think when we read this, we see that that's not at all what he is saying. And he, he brings up certain things where we find or I think is meaningful, and he shows how they are truly vanities before finally pointing us to what is truly meaningful. All throughout this book, we read of different things being raised as potentially commendable and worthwhile, like the pleasures of this world, like possessions, praise, prestige, posterity, like wisdom and intellect. If you want a P word, you can use percipients. All of that, apart from God, is meaningless, vanity of vanities. But we see that he is not approving of these things. He's not saying, because everything is meaningless, you can kind of live however you want. He's not saying that. He's not even approving of what he sees. He's contrasting, I think, for us, what is that which is under the sun to that which is above the sun. Under the sun, we see that it's marked with sexual morality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfishness, ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. That's what we see under the sun. But when we look above the sun, what do we see? We see perfect righteousness, perfect justice, perfect holiness. We see, we behold our God. Under the sun, we see brokenness. We see a depraved world, but above the sun, we don't see that. We, won't find, we find meaningless under the sun, but above the sun. We find life, meaning. And here in this passage, he highlights two things that he sees specifically under the sun. justice, or injustice, I should say, and unrighteousness. So unlike God. And when we live and act in the manner which is contrary to what is above the sun, we live lives of vanity. In the place of justice, there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, there was wickedness. What a bleak, disheartening statement. In the place where you want justice, what do you find instead? You find injustice. Where you want righteousness, you find iniquity. We want, when, when the place where we want justice to be dealt out we actually find that they're not actually doing it. Lies are being told about people with no repercussions. Rocks are thrown at windows and Alex's are being wrongly convicted. For some of you, children are taken from you because justice is not being served. Justice everywhere. Because we live in a fallen world with fallen people who live and act in ways that are fallen. Innocent people are thrown into jail for crimes they didn't commit, or worse, being held down and dying. Why? Because they're simply at the wrong place at the wrong time? Because they're the wrong color in the wrong neighborhood? And it's not only that the wrong people are being convicted, but also the wrong people are being let go. You can think of how justice is not being vetted out because somebody can afford a great team of lawyers. Or they can stretch out their hand, or they can. Or large corporations will take advantage of those who are less fortunate, with no consequence. This passage does not seem to give us very much hope in this verse right here. I mean, there seems to be even a hint of frustration here by the preacher that there's. There doesn't seem to be anything that we can do about it. We just have to wait for God to deal. Uh, Justice, and we see this theme of injustice repeated multiple times throughout this book. In, in chapter 4, verse 1, we see it even there. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of oppressors, there was power. There was no one to comfort them. In chapter 5, verse 8, we see, if you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at that matter. In Ecclesiastes 7.7, 7, Surely oppression drives the wives into madness and bribe, a bribe corrupts the heart. In Ecclesiastes 8, verse 9, All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Justice everywhere. And it's not like it's something outside of us. We find it many times inside of us. And it's not just something that the preacher here dealt with. It's something that we deal with now. There are always, we see the, the oppressed and we see the oppressors. And we're not surprised by it, but we shouldn't be calloused by it. Because this depraved world does and should cause us dismay. Dismay because we don't see justice served immediately. On the contrary, how often do we see actually the wrongdoer go free? How often do we see the oppressor grow more prosperous by shady or underhanded tactics and methods? We see that echoed in Ecclesiastes 4 1. He saw all the pressures done on the sun. And what causes us grief is that there is no one to comfort them. What is it that they have? Just tears. They have no one to comfort them. They are helpless. They're harassed. They are hopeless, without power. No one is there to comfort them, and that should rightly cause us grief. And I'm hoping is it will cause us to live in such a manner that is right and true for those who are hopeless and helpless and oppressed and facing injustice. We should have godly concern and sorrow at the misuse of power and the miscarriage of justice and righteousness at all levels as well. And this is not just a political thing related to sort of judicial matters. We can think about it in terms of even abuses in churches. We can think about it in, in terms of abuses within families. I mean, look at all the oppressive acts that we ourselves are committing Are we grieved by the injustices and oppressions that we see outside of us? But then also, are we grieved and brought to repentance by the injustices and oppressions that we cause ourselves? Are we able to see that? Are we living under the sun, S-U-N, in a way that reflects that we are in rebellion to the sun, S-O-N? Perhaps you're in charge at your workplace over a team of people, Are you acting in a manner that is righteous? Are you trying to maybe cheat your team and claim all the credit for yourself and say, I did this, look what I did. Or maybe when you're scheduling hours for the shift, are you saying, I'm going to favor certain peoples or myself as opposed to being impartial and fair to all? In our church, do we have favoritism, impartiality? Fathers, do we provoke our children instead of leading them? Are we abusive to our spouse physically, verbally, emotionally? Do our hearts break at injustice that we see, not just outside of us, but committed by us? It's not just government or the courts where we expect injustices, or where we expect justice, we should see it in us, we are called to do justice, in fact. But unfortunately, we hear about so much abuse and everywhere. The church, there's sexual abuse, member abuse, monetary abuse. My prayer is that there will be an end of it. But I don't want to be puffed up in my thinking or conceited or pride, proud thinking that that's something that's only going to happen out there. My prayer is that, Lord, you keep me from those things. I know that it's it's only a grace of God that I'm not chasing after those things, that I am not actually doing those things as well. It's not an ability I have. And Paul even reminds us in, in First Corinthians in ten twelve, if there's anyone who thinks he stands be careful, that him who thinks he stands lest he fall. My, my prayer is that I may not take pride in myself and fall, but I will maintain a humble heart and draw near and near to God. My prayer is for all of us to have a humble heart, to draw near and near to God. We, we see this world is fallen. We see that this world is broken. We see that this world is, is depraved and it causes us great, great sorrow. But we know that God will deliver judgment in his appointed time. Even, even though we're dismayed at the realities of this world that we are living in. I you think about it, right now there's about 140 million Orphans in this world today with no one to care for them. In, in, in our state of Texas, for every thousand people, two of them have been human tra- trafficked. Out of every 100 women in Texas, one will have an abortion. Today, at the end of 24 hours, 26,000 children will die from lack of water and preventable diseases. And I think that's a number. And and I, I pray God make me see it more real. The injustices in this world. That's that's twenty six thousand Augustans in who are dying today. When I see my son I I want to care for him. I want to protect him. And, and I know that there are many out there in this world today who are not as blessed. I mean, you think about it. If you make more, if you have more than two dollars to spend a day, you are in the top fifteen percent of this world. We have so much, and we've been given so much, and the need is great. Three billion people in this world. Three. Billion people of this world who are unreached. It's not that they are lost. It's not that they've they have heard the gospel and haven't responded to it. It's three billion people in this world today who've never even heard of Jesus. Three billion people who have never even seen a Bible or heard from the Bible. Does that cause our hearts to break? Do we even care? This world is broken. We know that. But does it cause us dismay? Does it break our hearts? In a a manner that we don't just say, oh, that's, you know, somebody else will handle that. I'm not gifted for this. My, My hope is in my life that I will be able to live on less so that I can give more. My hope is that as, as we reflect on the injustices in this world and, and the people who are living in, in oppression in this world, that will break our hearts and, and, and make us say, Lord, send me, use me. I mean, Paul talks about in Corinthians how we've been blessed with so much to, to, to help others out of our, our abundance. It's not for us to store for ourselves. And my my prayers, Lord, make me make me like this, make me see this, and make me weep, make me mourn for this injustice that I see all throughout the world. May, may I cry, cry Lord, Lord may, judge this. judge them. But may, may I not just say, you judge them, and I'll I'll just sit back and I'll watch your judgment. May it, may it cause me to, to do something. May I have a, a right reaction and a right response to the justices that we see here in this, in this world. I saw under the sun that in the place of justice even there was wickedness. In the place of righteousness even there was wickedness. And I know for some of you that brings you great, great sorrow because you've seen that. You've ex- experienced that. One of the things I've hearing with the Watsons and I am so sorry my heart breaks for y'all at the injustice that's served and those little ones The families who you, you bring into your homes because you know they're in an environment where they're being physically abused and you want to rescue them and and and, and they go back to it and and, and nothing is done about it. breaks, and I pray that it breaks even more, that we can we can trust in God. Yes, we can trust in God, and we know that God is sovereign, and he's in control, but that means more than just a theological statement. It's more than just a truth that we believe in our heads, but we, we go to the next step. We know that he is sovereign, and we know that he has sent us. We want justice to serve. We long and we wait for God to judge both the righteous and the wicked. We want that. We want him to repay each person according to what they've done. And we know that he will. We know that it will be revealed. Ultimately, at least in the end, Matthew 16, 27 tells us, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. 2 Corinthians 5, 10 says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. In Romans 2, 6 through 11, we also read, he will render, God will render to each one according to his works. That's, that's even us. He will render according to his works. Even when we act in a, in a matter where we're just apathetic or say... I'll just pass over that situation. Someone else will take care of it. He will render to each according to his works to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. Verse 10, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. For God shows no partiality. That means you, that means me. Pray, Lord, that we may be a people who see, who do good, who obey the truth and don't obey unrighteousness. I pray that in our lives, we are a place of of righteousness, that Christ is dwelling in us and the Spirit is moving in us and causing us to live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel that we have been saved by. And not that we have heard the gospel and we've been changed by the gospel and we believe in the gospel and yet we, we don't do anything. And, I'm, and, I'm, and I want to make this clear. I'm not saying that you are not saved if you don't have works. That is not at all what I'm saying because you are saved by, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. What I am saying is that have we received such mercy and kindness from our God that we don't want to overflow in mercy and kindness for others? Do we say we love you, God, but we forget that the second command is like the first, to love our neighbor? This means you, this is me. If this is the hearing, if, if, if there's any in the hearing of these words, God is, is speaking to us this morning. If we, if we hear his voice, let us not harden our hearts. We'll all come to the day of judgment. Where will we stand? You'll notice that in Ecclesiastes, he doesn't actually talk about what is the penalty. In verse 17, writes, says, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter and for every work. And we're like, yes! Like, I, I, there's, there's in the place of justice, there's wickedness. In the place of righteousness, there's wickedness. God will judge. What is their punishment? What is their due? Notice he never talks about it. He doesn't say what sort of punishment these evildoers and wicked people will face. He just simply states God will judge them. But that does not bring us to the conclusion that it's not knowable. It's also not shouldn't bring us to the conclusion that it's going to be some sort of light thing. Because he doesn't mention the penalty. Maybe it's not very severe. It's like a slap on the wrist. No. That's not what it's talking about. I mean, think about it like this for a second. If if we are afraid of penalty and consequences that we could face here on earth from an earthly judge who is imperfect... Why would we think that the penalty and the consequence from an eternal, just, perfect, and holy God would be less worrisome? I mean, going back to the passage in Romans, it says, He will render each one to, according to his works. And then he says this in, in, in verse 8, for those who are self seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey in righteousness, he says, There will be wrath and fury. In Matthew 25, verses 41 through 46, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed. You um, you cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, or sh- a stranger or naked or sick or in prison? And did not minister to you, then he will answer them truly, I, I say to you, as you did not do to one of these, least of these, you did not do to me. And then he says this in verse 46: And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Wrath and fury, eternal fire, eternal punishment. What is that? Is that a symbol? Well, even if it's a symbol, what, is it, what do we think it's a symbol of? You know, symbols usually express things in a way that we can understand them because they're too great to put in words. So when we read wrath and fury, eternal fire, eternal punishment, what do we think? A summer cruise in the Mediterranean? No, this is a bad thing. What a fearful thing it will be. And if, we, if, if there's any here who have not repented of their sins and placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ... For your salvation, you are here without hope. And there's going to be a time of judgment of every matter and of every work that is done under the sun. So you may ask, well, why does God delay then? Because we notice here, we see that that God will judge, but we also, just like we don't see the severity of the punishment, we also don't read when. We don't necessarily read when. He just says, God will judge, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. And and we got, we have to wonder, well, why? Why is there a time? Why can't you just do it like immediately? Shouldn't it be immediate? Like you, you stole something, boom, destruction, lightning bolt. You wronged me, justice. Why does God delay? I, I, I think the first thing we need to see here is that Just because he delays does not mean he will not act. That's the first thing. His his delaying and his his patience and his extension of, of mercy to us is not showing or reflecting that he doesn't care or that he is powerless to act. He will act. And I think verses 18 down through verse 22 address that question and more. And I don't want to spend too much time on, on that. But what we see here is that in verse 18, I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. God is testing us and he, he's, he's sort of allowed this temporary life that we have here as sort of the proving ground to see what we truly are. He's, 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 he's allowing us to stay and to see that we truly are but beasts. We are with, without excuse. Likewise, in verse 19, he says, For what happens to the children of man, what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. And man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. So even if you think, oh, justice is delayed, or it may never come, he says here, no, no, it's not. I mean, we're all going to die. And when you die, do you think you're going to escape judgment then? Justice will be met out, and, and God will do it in the right time but just because he doesn't do it in the time that we think he should do it doesn't mean that he won't do it. For he will do it. And and even if we don't see it happen in this lifetime, we know, well, that person's going to die. I'm going to die. And judgment will be met out then. We're not going to live forever and never face judgment we reflect on this reality. We will die. Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, in chapter 9, verse 27 says, and it's point for man to live once, to die, and then the judgment. They will face it eventually. It's not a question of if. This, this depraved world will bring us to dismay. but we know that there's that God will deliver his judgment so what is our response what is our response to all of this is this a joyful passage for us i think if you're apart from christ i know that if you're apart from christ you, you're, you're going to face judgment, and this is not a hopeful passage for you. This is not. Your only hope is to trust in the one who never sinned, and never failed at any point of the law. And though we were rebels and deserved death, God sent His Son Jesus. He lived a perfect life in perfect obedience to God, the Father. He died a sacrificial and substitutionary death. For sinners, and he rose again three days later, defeating death. He bore the punishment we deserved. And if you repent from your sins and place your faith and trust in him, you will be saved. I'm a Christian. I know most of us here. We are. We're believers. We're, I believe we're we're Christians. I believe we're saved. What does this then mean for us? What are we supposed to do with this? I think we are to fear God and to obey His directives. And that's not necessarily found here specifically in this passage. We do see, though, in verse 22 that there is nothing better that a man should rejoice in his works for that is his law. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? So we're supposed to rejoice in the work that we have and in the work that we're doing. We're reminded that even God has prepared before time. He prepared the good works that we're to walk into But where I pull that from is in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. The answer, I think, to all of the questions that we find here in, in the book of Ecclesiastes. And you read that in verse 13 and 14. And we looked at it earlier. It says, The end of all matter has been heard. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Church, I, I know that the, I know that you're, you're people who, who know this. I know that you're people who hate injustice. I know many of you have gone and you've you've adopted children. I know that many of you have sought to bring those who are being abused and to protect them. I know together that we've saved uh, three children. From the abortion, though, from being put to death, we as a church have saved three little children. My my prayer is that we will be a people who are transformed by the gospel, and we live lives recognizing his authority to judge and our responsibility to affirm his words in our living. We're called to that. What's the answer to all of the injustice and oppression in this world? What's the answer to that? It's for us to fear God, to obey His commands, to obey His directives. And there's a lot that goes on in there. And I mean, that there's, there's a lot to unpack there. And is that really the answer to a life that's very difficult at times, a life where we see... Injustice and oppression abounding. Is that really where we can place our hope? I think yes. When we don't get the promotion we deserve or when the courts rule against us, we can trust in God. We can know something that even the preacher knew himself, where he said in verse 17, in my heart, I know this, I said in my heart, something he knows, God will judge the righteous and... We know that God is in control. We know that God will ultimately judge. And that nothing, no, no injustice that we see in this world, no form of impression that we see in this world is going to escape his eye. That can give us hope. But I think we also have hope because we know that we also play a part in it. God has called us to fear him, to obey his directives, and, and one of them is to, is found in, in Micah 6.8. I, I don't know if I have a slide for that or not, but um, at least, uh, where's it, Brother Jim, brought, he put it up there too. <laughs> we are to, what does the Lord require of us is to do justice, love kindness, and to walk humbly before our God. We're humbly with our God. That's what he, he's called us to do. I think this is a hopeful thing because he, he's not saying, I'm just going to execute justice. He's also saying, I'm bringing you in, and you, ex- you do justice as well, in line with him, in line with his character, in line with his nature. We do it with integrity. When we do justice, it doesn't mean we just do any sort of justice that we want to be done. We do justice. And this is more than also just talking about justice, but actually living justly. From a, a negative sense, we can say we are prohibited or are prohibiting um, stealing, bribery, perjury, dishonesty, dishonesty. We 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 want those to stop. We're stopping it. Ephesians chapter four. It talks about us putting it away. If we're In Christ, we have put away falsehood. And instead, what are we supposed to do? We, we speak the truth with, this, with our neighbors. It says we are to be angry, and, or to be angry, but not to sin, and not to let the, ang- the sun go down on our anger and give no opportunity for the devil. It says let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need no corrupting talk come out of our mouth but what is good for building up be kind be kind to one another tender hearted forgiving one another as god in christ forgave you and in a, in a positive sense we strive for justice so in a negative sense we prohibit it and in a positive sense we push and promote it whether it's defending the unborn or the stewardship of our family or are, are we liberating those who are oppressed in the, in the slave trade or the sex trafficking or our community that is we that we see is legitimately oppressed we promote and we seek justice even in how we vote we we do justice we also love kindness Just as God delights in this, so too do we. We're not overly harsh, but we're willing to put others before ourselves. We love kindness. We love mercy. We're living and walking in a manner that reflects the mercy and the kindness that we ourselves have received. To all people. We walk humbly before God. We walk in a pleasing manner. I like to think of right, Enoch. He he walked with God. May we be people who walk with him. And he promises that when we humble ourselves, he will exalt us. We walk When we walk in a manner that is in conformity to God's will, we're walking with him. We're not walking against him, and we're not walking with him so that he may serve us, We submit to the Lord and we trust that He will deliver us from the oppressions and injustices that we face. Spurgeon put it like this. We are to bring to God that which God requires of us. We are to act toward God as He commands us and to accept from God that which He presents to us. Our approaches to the Most High are no longer to be a matter of our own taste and cleverness, but to be obedient movements of reverent faith bowing before the solemn word of the great king. He continues and he says, "'True humility begets a suavity, a gentleness, a tenderness, a Christ-likeness, which men may mock at for a while, but which for the most part wins their hearts. The more instructed soon take knowledge of a meek-spirited man that he must have been with Jesus and have learned on him. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth.'" And I do not prescribe to any man that he should try to walk humbly with his fellow man. For without great watchfulness, his spirit may glide into meanness and he may lose conscientiousness in a desire to please. And if he will aim at walking humbly with God, he will get into such a proper spirit that he will be be in his right position toward all his surroundings below and above. And his life will be such as will commend itself both to God and to men. when we look in this world and we are grieved by the injustices that we see we should react in in two ways trust in God because we know that he will deliver judgment but we don't just leave it there we also fear God and we obey his commands we obey his directives we do justice We love kindness, we walk humbly with him. And the temptation I know is to try to take matters into our own hands when living under this sun. But I urge you, trust him and and follow him. We can trust God, He will keep His word. You will. In fact, this passage that we read, I think, actually is connected to that truth. If, if you read in verse 16, the very, very first word that it begins with is, is moreover. It's, it's a connecting word, it's, it's connecting us to what precedes it. It says, like more, in addition to what, what you've, you've heard me say, moreover, in addition to it. And so what is that in addition to? Well, if you look in verse 14, it says, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it. So that's, that's good. Nobody's going to do something that God is like, whoa, unexpected. But then he also says, and no, anything can be taken from it. And so we trust that what God has willed and ordained to happen is going to take place. We're, it's not like we're speculating. Oh, I hope it will happen. No, no one, nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken from it. Whatever God does endures forever. God has done it, and He's done it for a reason. It's so that people fear before Him. We fear Him, and so much can be said about that. So much can be said about this. But ultimately, what we would just find and see here is that God is in control and we can trust him. We can trust him. His world is depraved. It causes us dismay. But we know that God will deliver judgment. and Nothing can stop that judgment. He'll deliver it at the appointed time. So let's, We fear him. We obey his directives. And I think that does a couple things for us. And I know I keep saying that does a couple things for us, but here's the last few things. <laughs> it brings us confidence before our God. He is the true God. God will judge all, none shall escape his judgment. Even the most vile criminal who does the most heinous crime and still somehow gets away with it, God, he will not escape the hands of God. We serve a God who is not just just, but is also good. He's a a good God who, who cares for his people, who knows all things. He's a good God. And that gives us confidence to live this life because we know that even though things are going wrong, we, we know, Lord, you're working things for good. Lord, grant me a greater faith and trust in what you are working. Grant me a greater confidence in this life that even though all these things are happening, all these injustices that we see in this world, oppressions, I I can trust that you're you're working in it. I can have confidence. Because it's not random. It's not out of the control of God. R. C. Sproul said there's not a one rogue molecule or atom in this world. And it should and it convicts us. God is truly all those things that we mentioned. So how fearful it is to fall into the hands of God. If you're apart from God, this message doesn't give us hope, but Christ does. As a believer, this message should convict us and cause us to examine our own lives and our own hearts. Where do we spend our time? Where do we spend our energies? Where do we spend our money? Do we have more than just an awareness of the things that are going on in this world. Like I, we, we know that there are people who have never heard the gospel. We, we know that there are people being trafficked. We, we know that people don't have um, access to clean water. We, we know that babies are being murdered, millions of babies, every single year. Is it is it more than just an awareness, or is it a conviction in our heart to ask Lord, what do you require of me? What do you require of me? And I I pray that as we examine our our hearts, as we're convicted by it, we can we're not going to just continue casting our eyes quickly over injustices, but we will be moved. Move to do something. Not just because we want to fix something that's broken, because we recognize how much mercy we've received from our Father when we didn't deserve it. Move us in love. We have confidence before the Lord. We're convicted in our hearts and we have a right conduct. My prayer is that in this message, God would do work in several ways. That people in positions of, of justice would actually execute justice. That, that people in places of, of righteousness would, would do right. That I as a parent and others as parents would not lead lives of hypocrisy before our children, but we would lead them in the path of righteousness. That as believers, we will pray for our leaders. We will pray for those in positions and places of justice and, and righteousness. We will pray for them. But that also we will live in our own lives in a manner that we do justice, that we do love kindness, that we do walk humbly before our God. And I believe we can all we can do this by the grace of God that he's, he's given to us. So I, I asked that may we maybe we, may we do this may we may we live like this I wanted to uh to close with a a hymn, and brother paul i I did not prepare you <laughs> so um, i don't know if you, if you have this one memorized. <laughs> if you can find it. But while he's going there, let's let's go to the Lord in, in prayer. Father God, Lord, we we know that you are perfect. We know that all that your all your ways are are pure and good. And yet we look at everything under the sun and and, and we see the opposite. We look at our lives and we see the opposite. Father God, forgive us for the times where we overlook the poor, the oppressed, the hurting. Lord, cause us to, to act in a manner that's consistent with your word. I pray, Lord, that this, this word that we've heard this, this morning will, will bear fruit in our lives. Ultimately, Lord, we pray that your name is glorified, that your kingdom advances with all power, with all all beauty. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.